Am I on? Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm Joel Barry. I am uh, on the greeting team here at Church in the Valley. And uh, our senior pastor, Randy Lanthrop, along with other church leaders, are out of town this week for a leadership event. So we are picking up today, uh, week three of four of a message series called TikTok, and we're learning how to deal with time and, uh, and our use of time and the opportunities that come with that. Today we're going to actually be looking at um, failure, which I don't know about you, but I'm well acquainted with it, and so I feel competent enough to speak on it. So we're going to look at that. There are a few um, questions we're going to be exploring today. One is, have you ever felt knocked down by life? Um, and feeling knocked down by life isn't just um, other things happening to us, because there's stuff that happens to you and I that really is out of our control. Right? There's things maybe this week that you wished had turned out differently, but because of someone else's choice, uh, it is what it is. Uh, then there's the stuff that we've done, right? and we're dealing with our own consequences, and we feel kind of knocked down because maybe there's a pattern in our life that we're dealing with, and we have to deal with it again. And then about the time we feel like we've got it figured out, it happens again. And it gets to a point where you're like, I, I think this is just who I am. I don't know if it's going to get any better than this. Right? So there's that frustration that goes along with with trying to do something, trying to make progress in a certain area, and just feeling like it's not happening. And so we're going to talk about that, and also, what are some, cha- uh, so what are some challenges we face after we fail? Because as soon as we mess up, things start creeping in that can make it worse if we don't deal with them, right? Failure is one thing. Failure is something that we all can relate to. So to be surprised by failure uh, really is something we should get over, Right? Because it's going to happen. But then it's, what are we going to do after we fail? What are some of the challenges we face? And then finally, we're going to explore at the end here, uh, moving from failure, what are some next steps to take away as we get out of failure and hopefully move toward progress? And so there's hope in all of this. So I wanted to start with a huge, well, this is, I was going to say a huge failure in the Bible. That's really not the case. Uh, a, a man who failed but actually was instrumental in the progress of the early church, his name was Simon Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, we're going to look at a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Actually, Peter's having the conversation with Jesus. He's bringing up, uh, you know, how he's going to do a lot of great things for Jesus. So let's look at those verses here. Um, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Uh, Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So in this conversation, this is right before Jesus was crucified. So there's a lot of emotion going on here anyway. Um, not only did Jesus say, you're, you're not going to stand up for me. In fact, you're going to fail. And you're not just going to fail once or twice. You're going to fail three times in one night. So take that. Right? that. That's what Peter has to deal with at this point. It's like, um, I really want to do great things for you. And Jesus says, well, I understand that, but this is the reality. Now, there is some encouragement from this for me. One is that Jesus already knows we're going to blow it. Um, so we're going to mess up. And uh, he, it, he can use that failure. So I take that encouragement from it. But failure lingers with us for a while. In 1987, my family uh, uprooted from a small town in Arkansas, less than 4,000 people, and we moved to Sacramento, California. I was 11 years old at the time, was not happy about it. I actually told my parents, I will move but I will not smile. And then I got over I eventually smiled. It's been almost 30 years. Um, so anyways, my parents still live in Sacramento. My wife and our three kids, 11, 8, and 5, went up to visit Sacramento last week. My mom and I are taking a walk through our old neighborhood. 
my old neighborhood. It's hers, so I guess it's still new to her. I don't know. She lives there. I don't. So where I used to live, and we run into my sixth grade teacher, who uh, was my first teacher straight out of Arkansas in 1987. And so I, I, said, I was like, Mom, that's Mr. Scarlato. That's my sixth grade teacher who I haven't seen since probably 1988. But I recognized him. And I said, Mr. Scarlato. And he looks at me. And I was like, you taught me in the sixth grade. And then he puts his hand on his head. He goes, I hate when people do that. And so I said, well, you don't have to guess who I am. He goes, no, no, I want to. I'm like, okay. So I'm standing on a sidewalk with my mom in Sacramento. And there's an older gentleman uh, who was young 30 years ago saying, uh, your name is Sean. And I was like, no, but one of my best friends was. So he got like the right year. So I was impressed with that. And I said, I'll give you a hint. I'm from Arkansas. Because I'm figuring like how many kids straight out of Arkansas have you taught, you know, in Sacramento. And he goes, he still couldn't remember my name, but he said spelling bee. And I was like, that's right. Because I won the school spelling bee right when I got out of Arkansas. Like through my accent, they were able to understand the words that I spelt. And I spelled them correctly, and I won the school spelling bee. I was like, yes, I did. He goes, I still remember the word that you spelled right in the district, or whatever's smaller, district and then county. I went to the district spelling bee, and at the same time, he and I said the word slumgullion. And I was like, yeah, you guys know what that is? I had never heard it until I was on stage at a sixth grade spelling bee and asked to spell it. And I spelled it right, which was even more funny to me. Um, slumgullion's a type of stew, incidentally. But then I asked my sixth grade teacher, I was like, do you remember the word that I spelled wrong at the next spelling bee? He's like, no, I don't. I was like, I do. It's aerospace. You know, A-E-R-O. I spelled it like bow and arrow. A-R-R-O-W. And uh, he remembered the word that I spelled right. But almost 30 years later, I still remember the word I spelled wrong. Because the failure, when we, when we mess up, it's hard to let that go. It's hard to forget of those things. And when we do that, we have to start dealing with some consequences of it. So I want to look at that now. When we fail, you'll see this in your listening guide in the program if you want to follow along. Uh, when we fall, we need to fight against the guilt. We blow it, we mess up, and immediately we feel guilty, right? And that sometimes is an indicator that, hey, I need to make something right here. I need to, uh, to address something. But it starts to creep in, and we need to be aware of it because as things uh, encroach into our life, they can start affecting our moods, right? If you're feeling guilty or if you've got your mind on a failure, it's really hard to deal with what's in front of you today, to deal with the responsibilities you have. We, we kind of start loosening our grip on the other things that we have responsibility for. The next one is shame. Shame, it's, it's kind of like, uh, for me, when I, like you may give someone advice, a, a friend trusts you and you give them advice, and then they um, take your advice and you don't take your own advice. Right? And you're like, I just told them to do that. I didn't even do that. Or maybe if you're in a parenting situation, if you ever find yourself at a, yelling at a child saying, don't yell, do not scream. Who taught you that? That happened to me yesterday. Um, uh, but but I, I, I cleared it all up. But it's one of those things where then at re, I re, immediately afterwards you're like, well, who is that person? I, don't, I, I, I thought I was past this. I thought I was past this attitude or this uh, habit or whatever. And so shame, shame creeps in. The next one is uh, condemnation. You just feel like, I am, I am bad. I am condemned, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Which is not true. Romans 8, 1, which you'll see later in the listening guide, uh, talks about this. Um, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. So if we start buying into the fact that we are condemned, we're actually believing a lie. Um, and so the truth of Scripture can really help us conquer the failure after failure to really make progress moving forward so there's no need 
to feel the condemnation. In fact, this conversation that Jesus was having with Peter right before he crucified, if you remember the story of the crucifixion, before Jesus dies, he says, it is finished. That's a very final statement. He's not like, I'm going to get it done eventually. He says, it's finished. Your sins are forgiven. He, he conquered death. He restored our relationship to God. He gave us hope, not only for this life, but the afterlife, uh, so that we can now deal with a perfect God who, who loves us. And we, we had a fractured relationship because of our failure, because of our sin, because we missed the mark. And Jesus says, it is finished. And so on, in that moment, and in that time, it is done. Now, the rest of our life, we are, until we get to heaven, we are not going to be perfect, but our sins and the condemnation is, is no longer. So when we buy into that lie, we find ourselves slowly drifting off track from where we need to be. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Let's look at the next one, embarrassment. Maybe you have a, uh, you've done something, not only that's like a failure, like you said something to a coworker, but maybe it was more public than that. Heaven forbid it end up on YouTube. But, you know, maybe it's some situation. Yeah, you say the wrong thing on an airplane and someone's got a phone, right? Then it's like the whole world knows. But maybe you've got something that's so embarrassing that it was public in nature. Um, that can be really, uh, that can really affect us. That kind of failure. Like, ah, oh, I knew I was a failure. I didn't want the whole world to know I was a failure. Right? So we, it, it could have be that. That could be something that you deal with. The next one is comparison. And there's a verse in, uh, this is, uh, we'll jump ahead to, we're going to kind of jump ahead and then jump back. Move back, strut back. I don't know how we're going to get back, but we'll get back. John twenty-one, twenty-one. So Peter, uh, seeing him, said, Lord, and what about this man? So this is after Jesus had died, crucified, and he's back, and he is uh, talking with the disciples. And Peter says, hey, what about this man? In the next verse, Jesus actually says, if I want him to stay until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. What can happen after failure is that we begin to compare ourselves. How come they never get caught and I blow it one time and and the whole world seems to know? How come they can do so many things and it always works out for them, but when I do it, it doesn't work out? Or uh, how come their kids behave in public? What am I doing wrong? How come come they get the job promotions and I don't? How come their relationships work out and mine don't? How come their finances seem to be better than mine? They're not any smarter than me. I think I have a better degree than they do. Right? All these things creep in. We think, why not me? And Jesus basically says that's not wise. Second Corinthians 10.12, it's not in your listening guide. You can check it out later. But it's basically a verse in the Bible that says comparison is not a wise thing to do. It's not something that's a good use of our time to sit and compare. And, and you can think about that. Think of moments in your life where you've compared yourself to someone else or even to where you want to be and you're not there yet. It can, it can start breeding a lot of things that just aren't helpful. Discouragement, discontent, uh, cynicism. If you spend any time on Facebook, you see a lot of cynical people pop up. You know, they just want to throw things out there on Facebook or any kind of social media or in conversations. Uh, it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to speak unkindly about people, but it's not right. It's not right to do that, and it's not right for us to compare ourselves to other people or to other things. We, Jesus says, if I want you to do this, then, then do it. And you have to believe in that moment that God is not going to rip you off. That God can be trusted and he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And that's the thing that you and I all, we all have to do that. We have to sit down and say, God, do I really believe that? I want to believe it. You know, sometimes it's, God, I want to believe that, but in this moment, this is hard. Will you help me? So let's look uh, at what we can do. Um, Set your heart to trust God and follow his instructions. This is Proverbs 4.23. Um, 
guard your heart above all else, uh, for, for it determines the course of your life. So the heart is the cockpit of your life. You've heard that before if you've been around church in the valley. Uh, the heart is the cockpit of your life. Anything that gets in the cockpit of an airplane, anyone, they, they set the direction for that plane, for better or for worse. So what we allow to start creeping into our hearts will set the direction. This verse says um, it, it determines the course of your life. Guard it. Guard your heart. What are you allowing in? So the shame and the guilt and the comparison and the condemnation and the embarrassment starts finding its way in. Who's responsible for guarding? This is a conversation I've had with my 11, 8, and 5-year-olds. I look at them and I say to one of them, who's in charge of guarding your heart? And they say, I'm in charge of guarding my heart. That's right. It's not my job to guard your heart. It's not your job to guard your brother or sister's heart. You have to guard your own heart. I have to guard my own heart. Now, as parents, there's certain things we do to make sure their hearts are kind of clear, like asking them if they need to forgive anyone, if they're mad at anyone, if someone didn't keep a promise. Where Things that can happen where you start harboring resentment or bitterness. But ultimately, the Bible says you're in charge of your heart. I'm in charge of my heart. And if you don't guard it, then stuff's just going to get in. If you've watched any NBA games recently, you realize that guys make a lot of money to guard other people. A lot of money. What do they do when they guard someone else? They make sure that the ball doesn't get in the, in the net that they're defending. They guard it. They, they, take, they take special care, and they get paid a lot of money to do that. If a team gave up 200 points in a game, and they interviewed the team afterwards, they said, what happened? Well, we, uh, you didn't guard anybody. And they say, well, we, we, we believed in our heart it would happen. Or, we, just, we just thought it, they'd eventually get guarded somehow. But you didn't guard them. Well, yeah, that's debatable. No, it's not. You gave up 200 points. Not debatable. No, we just, uh, man, we'll get them next time. Man, you sure? So guarding your heart is an intentional action. That's what I mean. It doesn't just happen. Anybody that wins an NBA game, it didn't just happen. They didn't just close their eyes and throw it over their back the whole game and it went in every time. All right? So guarding our heart is our own responsibility. So if you find shame getting into the cockpit of your life or guilt or condemnation or embarrassment, um, you need to make it right. You need to start moving it out. One of the things you do is you ask God, God, I've given up ground to this. I've given up ground to shame, guilt, condemnation, whatever it may be. Could be other things that aren't on the listening guide today. Fear, anxiety, guilt. Oh, well, guilt's on there, but fear and anxiety aren't. Worry, other things. Um, will you help me? I, you know, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you help me to regain that ground that I've given up because I've let it go. I let my guard down. And the thing, there's a quote that is attributed to Mike Tyson. I, 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 he said it. I don't know if he's the first one to say it, which is everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. So if you, if you think about going into your day, oh, I'm going to be so kind. I'm going to be so loving. I've got this. I'm going, to, I'm going to be the best coworker ever today. But as soon as something happens wrong, we get hit in the mouth with something that happens during the day. Uh, someone says something that's just annoying. You hear something on the radio. Someone says something on Facebook. Someone, whatever, cuts you off in traffic. All of a sudden, your guard is down. Right? Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life, or from it sets, it sets the direction of your life. As soon as your guard is down, here can come in all these other things. Once the guard is down, there's opportunity for, for shame and for guilt and for anger uh, and for unkindness and all these things. So we have to be understanding that we fail, and the guard comes down, and we need to get to the point, and this is the challenge, and this is what we ask God for help with, to where we immediately turn this around. We say, God, I'm not going to let this take my whole day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask for your help in this moment to respond rightly. If you made something wrong, you make it right, and you move forward in faith. So the next thing on, on our listening guide, 
is to get back on, ta- on track uh, promptly. So let's look at what Peter said here. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. This is the guy two chapters ago that was saying, um, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to follow you. We're going to do this. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going, Lord. And Jesus, that's when Jesus said, no, you're going to fail three times tonight. And, and here is, this is one of the, the failures here. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked, and he replied, I am not. Now, Peter could have, that could have defined Peter's life, that failure. Have you ever met someone or you struggle with yourself where there's one thing you look back on and you say, uh, that, that defined my life? There are athletes where one terrible play defined their career. You say their name and people remember that one thing that they did. You know, if they, like Chris Weber called timeout when he didn't have any left in college, uh, a basketball player, and, and they ended up losing the game. They always remember him calling a timeout, and they're like, that guy didn't have any timeouts left to call, and his team lost. Um, so you think, these things define me. Peter did not let this failure define him. If you continue to read on in the, uh, in the Bible, you see in the book of Acts that when the, the early church started, um, Peter was instrumental in the spread of the gospel throughout uh, the known world at the time. Um, because Peter got back on track promptly. He failed miserably. I mean, that's a pretty big failure. The night of the crucifixion of our Lord, you deny him three times. And and the Bible says he wept bitterly. I mean, he felt the guilt immediately after he he denied. And and you may feel the same way after certain things happen. You know immediately, that was not the right thing to say. That was not the right thing to do. Um, But you you get back on track. So let's look at that. Let's talk about where we go uh, after failure. One of the things you can do is learn all that you can from your part of the failure. I have never spelled aerospace wrong again in 30 years. You ask me how to spell, I'll tell you. A-E-R-O-S-P-A-C-E. So one of the things from your failures is that you learn from it. You say, I'm not going to let that happen again. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, and, and, and notice it says my part in the failure. There are some things that happen that other people do, and you cannot control their actions. I cannot control their actions. But you learn from your part. What was, how did I participate in this failure? And typically it doesn't take us long. I'll, I, no matter how is it, easy it is for you or I to point the blame and to point out uh, a list of things wrong with people that are very close to us, people we love, oh, I can tell you ten things that are annoying about them, Right? But it really doesn't take you long to know what your job was. Sometimes I act confused. I don't know, Lord. I really feel like it was all them. But if I really take a minute to think about it, okay, yeah, I could have done that differently. And I could have done that differently. Okay. So look at that. Take the time. The thing is, God is gracious and he's loving and he has time. And he will walk through you through that process. So I think one of the challenges I have sometimes is getting caught up in things. I've got to figure this out today. But if it's a process to start today of seeing what you can learn from your failure, you may not get the lesson by the end of the day, but you've started that process. Maybe asking questions from wiser people that you trust. Do you see this or do you see that? Or what are some ways that you've done to deal with this thing? Getting into the Bible, seeing what Scripture says. Praying to God directly and asking Him for help on these things. But getting to a point where you can start looking at and uncovering what your part was in the failure. Okay. 
The next one is confess and receive the Lord's forgiveness. That's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not, I mean, the, the scripture's not up here, but the verse is in your program. Um, that's a big deal. If I confess, he will forgive. Jesus is the only person who offers this. And that's what eats us up. If you haven't yet made Christ boss of your life, um, you can find that there seems kind of no hope out of failure. Really, there, there's a lot of guilt that goes along with it and shame and these other things. And, and we can kind of forgive ourselves, but there's this forgiveness, this fractured relationship with God that isn't reconciled until we say, you know what? It's the perfect blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection that restored me to God. It isn't how good I get it isn't how much work I do and how better I get at my anger or how better I get at my harsh words. It, it, even if I get as good as I think I can, that's not what saves us. That's not what restores our relationship with God. It is only Christ Jesus. So we depend on that. And when we fail, we confess because of Jesus. We, we, have, we have direct relationship with God now through Christ and we, we have forgiveness. And forgiveness is a big thing. When, when, when the weight of, of sin is lifted off of us, we, we have the liberty to live. We have the liberty to live in hope and, and know that, uh, yeah, I may fail again, but I am forgiven and I am going to get back up. Get back up is the name of this sermon today because um, that's what we do. It's not called never fail. We could all just go home now if it was never fail. It's like, man, forget this. It's get back up. So we confess and receive. The next one is to reject guilt, shame, and condemnation and stand on Christ. Do you know that every thought that goes through your head, you don't have to accept? Aren't you glad that people can't read our thoughts? I've thought things even today already where I've had to intentionally reject them, whether it's, oh, this is going to be the worst sermon ever. No, that's not true. You know, and I have to reject it and really hope it's not true. And then, um, or, uh, oh, this is going to be the best sermon ever. Nope, that's not true. Reject, you know, whatever side of pride or shame you're on, these, you have to reject these things in the moment, these thoughts. You don't have to keep them. I'm never going to measure up. That's a lie. We measure up because of Christ. And that's already done. It is finished. So to think that you are not worthy, or you are not lovable, or you are not able, or you are not good enough because of Christ, you are. So you are believing a lie if you buy into that guilt, and you buy into that shame, and you buy into that embarrassment, and you buy into that condemnation. That is wrong. That is wrong. You have... it. it it's not, it's not true. So you can reject guilt, shame, and condemnation and stand on Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. There is none. That's the way it, that's, that's the way it reads because that's the truth. Uh, the last thing here is to move forward in faith. You may not see a way out. You may not see how you can make progress in whatever area in your life. But God does. So you, you move forward in faith. Uh, Philippians three twelve through fourteen. You can read that on your own. But you're you're forgetting what is behind, and you're pressing forward to what lies ahead, and you're doing that in faith. We don't see tomorrow. You and I don't see tomorrow. We don't see ten minutes from now. So really, we need to stop and 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 put our faith in God and say, in faith, I'm going to trust you. That as I accept your forgiveness. Confess my sins, you've forgiven me, and I'm going to make progress in my anger, in my guilt, in my shame, in my fear, in my anxiety, in my work. With your help, I'm going to do this. 
Um, and that takes faith. It takes faith to trust God. And then some of these other actions that we talked about, it could be getting with other people that you trust, re, uh, getting into these verses, or uh, praying to God directly you know, for the help to do this. Okay, so let's, um, I, I want to identify uh, some, some next steps that you can take. And um, actually the band can, can start making their way back up here. Um, and I want to look at a few things that you can be doing to make progress in, uh, in dealing with failure and getting back up. First one is to identify one of the challenges I'm fighting against. You know, I've listed some there. And you may have a different challenge, and you, can, you know what that is. You can list that yourself. Guilt, shame, condemnation, embarrassment, comparison. And ask God for help in battling it. The second one may be to identify my plan to move forward from failure and begin to take those steps. And those are listed on your listening guide as well. The, um, you can look at those four that we just went through and see if one of those is a plan that you would want to implement. And finally, uh, uh, memorize Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And that can really help you in times uh, when you're struggling and you, you, you sense these things creeping in. Um, you remember, you know, I'm going to guard my heart right now. I'm not going to let that in. I'm going to put the guard up. I'm not letting the other team score right now. And, and above all else. And that's, a, that's an intentional, it's a diligent, and it's a daily thing. Sometimes it's an hourly thing. Um, but that may be something you want to do. Okay, will you pray with me as we uh, wrap up here? Dear God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that in you there is no condemnation. And we all fail, God. In fact, I'm personally really good at it. And I ask that you would help us as we... Um, Approach the rest of this day and this upcoming week. We just ask for your help, God, to remember the words uh, from Scripture, that we would um, read it, that we would look at how to apply it, and you would help us work that into the fabric of our life. We trust you for the progress that we so desperately need, and we know that you are more than able to help us with this. And we ask for your help. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.